Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk and Habakkuk in chapter number two. The ba- or Habakkuk chapter number three. Habakkuk chapter number three. As we are finishing up our series, our Sunday school series of issues of life answered from the Word of God, we understood that we are taking time to answer some questions that people have and that we started off with some basic questions then we moved to some more hot button topics uh, dealing with those who are outside of the church and have questions and the last couple lessons we've been dealing with the idea of questions that people within Christendom may have whereas last week we talked about what is true worship does the Bible describe such a thing can we know and we understood that true worshipers must worship Worship God in spirit and truth. Now, whereas those who have been around me for a while and have adopted our point of view of believing what the Bible says, that today's topic may not be a hot button topic inside of our church, but let me assure you that outside of our church within a Christendom, this is a very much a hot button topic, very much an issue that is denied by most churches outside of this realm. What is this that you say? Well, notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Habakkuk, chapter number three. The book of Habakkuk in chapter number three. And notice with me in verse number one. Habakkuk chapter three in verse number one. The Bible says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigonoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, Revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath, remember mercy. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, if you're not already, mark the phrase that we find in the book of Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse number 2. Notice the phrase, revive thy work. Revive thy work. And with this, we're going to ask the question and most important needed question in our day can we have revival? Can we have revival? Now with this, we have to define our terms. What in the world is revival? What are we speaking about? Well, revival is the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit unto a group of people that have chosen to become obedient to the Lord and watching God work. And when you have God's Spirit pour out, some amazing things will happen. It's amazing to go through history and to see that there are actual revivals and to see what revivals happen. I love studying revivals because it's something that we have a desire to see God work again. Now, in an age that we live in, why is this such a hot button topic? Because people say, well, it's dependent upon people 
and people are horrible. We live in the last of the last days and things wax worse and worse. And let me tell you, God can't pour out His Holy Spirit because of the disobedience of God's people. Well, I understand we live in a world that very much has God's people very disobedient. However, Dr. R.A. Torrey, one of my favorite revivalists to study, he gave a prescription of revival that he gave around the world. And this was his prescription for revival. Let a few people, and it need not be many, let a few people gather together and get thoroughly right with God. He said, until this is done, none of the other things that I give you will matter. Let a few people, and it doesn't have to be many, get thoroughly right with God. And then he said, let those people gather together in groups for prayer until revival comes. Then let those people set themselves for God's use for the winning of souls. He says, I've given this prescription everywhere around the world. And everywhere around the world where people have taken this prescription, revival has come. In fact, it cannot but come. It cannot fail to come because this is a biblical principle. What is this biblical principle? Well, we have a Bible verse in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven forgive their sins, and heal their land. You understand this is a biblical principle. What is Dr. Torrey's prescription for revival? Let a few people. It doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be many. We understand we live in a world where the unrighteous outnumber the righteous. But let a few people, and it need not be many, get thoroughly right with God. He says, until this is done, nothing that I tell you afterwards will matter. You understand you cannot overemphasize the power of purity. The power of being thoroughly right with God. Why is it that revival tarries? Why is it that revival doesn't come? Because we're not willing to do the first step. We're not willing to be thoroughly right with God. We're all right with being casually right with God. Mostly right with God. On the surface right with God. But we're not willing to be... Thoroughly right with God. Thoroughly surrendered. Thoroughly confessed up. Thoroughly. We don't want to be honest with ourselves that much of the things that we do are displeasing to the Lord. Even the way that we think is not displeasing to the Lord. And because we're not willing to change. Because we're not willing to do something. Because we're not willing to get thoroughly right with God and surrender our things. By the way, I love sin. (gasps) So do you. Otherwise you wouldn't do it. You like your sin. That's part of the problem is that we like sin. We like our sin too much. And we're not willing to let it go. We're not willing to let go our way of thinking. We're not willing to let go what we want to cling on to for the purpose of allowing God to work. So in that matter, sure, revival's impossible. As long as we're not willing to get right with God. Let a few people, and let it not be many, get thoroughly right with God. And then let them set eat together in groups to pray until revival comes. That second step's important. Normally, 
we just drill down just to the surface and then say, oh, nothing's here. And then the next group will come in and dig down and get the oil that we could have had if we just would have progressed. We're not willing to put the work in to pray. We're not willing to pray. You have not because you ask not. We're not willing to go to the Lord consistently and go together to pray. And then setting ourselves for the purpose of winning souls. You understand? That's the one purpose that God has given us to do. Is the great commission. Every Christian is required. Required to win souls. The Jesus says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. We understand that our requirements to follow after him. He does the making. He makes us fishers of men. So any Christian who's not a fisher of men. It's evidence that they are not following after him. You say well this isn't fun. I understand this is why we don't have revival. We have to understand these truths here. That our purpose is to follow after God. As we follow after God, we'll have his same heart. What is Jesus' heart? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're following after him, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Unless you're walking with him, you're, you're going to start developing his heart, his thoughts, his mindset, his philosophy. This is why revival tarries. But let me tell you, we can have revival. In the last part of the 1800s, the great evangelist D.L. Moody um, was in Chicagoland. And it just so happens in the Chicagoland area, they had a big conference uh, scheduled to all these preachers about why we can't have revival. Imagine that. And so for all that day, they were having a meeting. We can't have revival. We're living in the last of the last days. Now in the 1800s, late 1800s, if that was the last of the last days, how much worse are we today? Well, they were saying, you can't have revival. It can't happen. Can you imagine that? All these preachers showed up for this conference with the idea that you can't have revival. Well, it happened to be that Dr. DL, or Mr. D.L. Moody was outside and he just started preaching on the street corner and started winning someone of the Lord. And next thing you know, this huge mass of people started coming as he started witnessing the people. And he realized that they were going to need a bigger place. And so as the people, the preachers were leaving that little or that facility to go to break for a meal or whatever else, Dr. Moot, he said, hey, look, here's a building that's kind of opened up. And so they filled the building with all these people and we're having great revival as people were getting saved, people were getting right, whatever else. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, that small group of preachers were just having this meeting why revival can't happen. We see that all throughout history. We see all things. To study the Welsh revivals of 1858, where it started off that people began to fall down and get right with the Lord because there was a little girl who happened to say, I love Jesus with all of my heart. And with it, the Holy Spirit broke out and just sent a great revival where people for days were just in the mud as it was still raining, getting right with God. And they had preachers just trying to work with as many people as possible as watching God work. Let me tell you, revival is possible and revival can happen. And revival should be something that every Christian should, should expect. You understand the natural state of a church is revival. Any church that is not in revival is abnormal according to the way that God planned it. Unfortunately, abnormal has become normal, and any church that is normal is now abnormal. 
because we should have to be a constant state of God's people being thoroughly right with God and being in communion with God and set aside for God's disposal that God is pouring out his spirit upon that place and God is constantly present and God is constantly working. You understand that when God's presence is in a place that people have an encounter with God, it should change. We should have God's presence so thick that when people drive up in the parking lot, they're automatically convicted of their sins and being right with God because of God's presence. Not us. God's presence is so present. It should be so thick that when people are driving by and just passing the church building, not even looking for it, they had a sense that there's something going on here even though they may not place it. This should be the normal of the church. And it should be, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, and, or seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. You said, all right, well, you've been giving a lot of history. What about the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about those things? Well, it just so happens we're in the book of Habakkuk, which gives us a good snapshot of not only of what is going on in Habakkuk's world, but also the expectation that in the midst of everything that is following, that revival will come. Notice it if you don't mind the context. Notice with me the book of Habakkuk chapter number one. The book of Habakkuk chapter number one. Now the book of Habakkuk chapter one, or, or the book of Habakkuk itself is an unusual book for the minor prophets. The rest of the 11 minor prophets are addressed to a group of people, to the people of Edom, to the people of Nineveh, to the people of Israel, to the people of so on and so forth. But notice with me in the book of Habakkuk chapter number one, and let's see this conversation that begins with the prophet. Notice with me Habakkuk chapter one and verse one. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Notice this. It wasn't the burden that he felt. It was the burden that he did see. He looked and he saw there's a burden out there. There is something that needs to be taken care of. That God and God alone can do. What is this burden that he saw? Verse number 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou will not hear. Even cry out to thee of violence. And thou will not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity. And cause me to behold grievance. For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that. That raise up strife. And contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And the judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass About the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Here's the prophet Habakkuk. He sees that his world is in trouble. And so he goes to the source like he should. And he goes to God and says, God, our world's a mess. I'm praying because this is what I'm supposed to. Lord, you've, you've exposed the violence and sin. You show me this iniquity out here. And it seems like you're not doing anything about it. In fact, we got to the place where there's violence. There's all of these things happening. There's spoiling. And there's those that raise up strife and contention. We're living in a world where everyone's always fighting with each other. They've drawn sides and they're not listening to each other. Oh, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? And it, and it says, we have so many unrighteous people that the law is slack. People don't obey the law no more. And even the courts don't rule correctly anymore because there are so many unrighteous compared to the righteous. And he's going to God and he's doing what he should be as a man of God, as a, as a believer. He goes to God in prayer. That's the correct answer to go to God. 
However, he's surprised, and this is what makes the book of Habakkuk unique. God answers him. God speaks to him. In fact, the whole book of Habakkuk is a conversation between the prophet and God. And they go back and forth and begin to talk. Can you imagine as you're talking about the state of your country and looking at it, just saying the country that you live in and there's more unrighteous things are going on, violence, there's strife, contention, the whole thing's broken. We don't know what to do about it. God, I'm just bringing it to your feet. And then all of a sudden God answers you. That'd be a surprise, wouldn't it? Verse number five. Here's God's answer to him. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe though it be told to you. He says, Habakkuk, what? Yes, sir. He says, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to answer your prayers. I've been hearing and let me tell you, I'm going to do a work in your days. And I'm going to do something so amazing and so wondrously. And you're not going to understand it. That when I tell you, you won't believe me that it's going to work. Okay, well tell me, what are you going to do? He says, ye among the heathen. Verse number five, uh, 6. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasted nation. Which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. He says, Habakkuk, let me tell you what I'm going to do. So I'm going to send the Babylonians and they're going to come and invade your nation. They're going to conquer your nation. They're going to destroy your temples. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. And they're going to kidnap your people and drag them thousands of miles out of the way and displace them. God, that doesn't sound like an answer to prayer. That's the opposite of what we want. He says, I told you, you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> you understood the problem goes deeper than the strife and contention. The, the, the problem goes deeper than just more unrighteous. The problem goes deeper than the courts and the laws aren't working. What is the problem? That God's people are not looking at God. And they're trusting in everything else but God. And so God has to fix this. How does he fix it? Persecution. Persecution. You know, when we pray to God, we're expecting rainbows and puppy dog tails and happiness. And that God would just pour His Spirit. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, woohoo, yay. But God says, no, no, no. I need, you to, I need to teach my people to trust me. And the only way they really trust me is during hard times. So I'm going to answer your prayer and I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going to get people to look at me by sending persecution. That's how I'm going to answer your prayers. That's how I'm going to fix this mess. What? And Habakkuk starts saying, listen, they're worse than we are. I told you you wouldn't believe me. God says, in fact, they're worse than what you think. Let me tell you about them. And he spends chapter 2 telling them about how evil and wicked they are. And God says, listen, this is how we're going to work. This is how we're going to bring revival. This is how we're going to fix things. Notice with me, as we started, we talked about a man with a vision. that A vision he did see. A burden he did see. Then we saw a vision of God. Notice with me verse 12. Art thou not everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, O mighty God. Thou hast established them for correction. Notice what he talks to him. He says, my Holy One. Now we just mentioned on Wednesday that the fixing of the problem of the king of Israel at that time 
was the vision of God. That when you see God as he truly is high, holy, and lifted up, you begin to see yourself as you truly are. Then you start to see the work as it truly is. The answer to the people's problem is that they need to see God. They need to see God, a holy God. Now, people say, I have no problems with the word holiness. That is until I define it. What is holiness? It is separating unto God, being like him. What is the purpose of holiness? Well, the book of Leviticus explains this. The purpose of holiness is so we don't end up bringing God to our level, but instead we go to where God is. You see, our temptation all the time is to bring God to us. But as long as God is like us, he can't help us. We need a holy God who is righteous and pure. We need to change to go to him. We can't change him to bring us to him. We must have a clear vision of who God is. To realize that he is the creator of the universe. He is the master of all things. He is the lawgiver. He is the one that we have to stand before. He's the one who's going to judge us. It begins with our vision of God. When we have a church that is not right with God, the answer to their problem is they need to see God high, holy, and lifted up. My counsel to new pastors, when they take a church, they said, well, the church has got this problem and this problem, or they don't want to work, they don't want to whatever else. You know what I'm going to do? And they come up with a plan. And I go, none of that. <laughs> well, they come to me for advice, so I'm giving them the advice. I said, what you need to do is take one year and just preach about who God is. The problem is, is that they don't see God high, holy, and lifted up. And the answer to that problem is to see God for whom he is. How do we fix soul winning? Well, we gave the verse before. What was the, how does God make us fishers of men? By following him. What's the answer to people not soul winning? Vision of God. Looking who God is. Making them follow after him. That's the answer. How do we fix a sin problem within a church? Get them to look at God. Get them to look at God. How do we solve the labor problem? Looking to God. Looking to God. That is the thing here. It's our vision of God. Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. We must have that vision of God. And become the holy people. Go to him. Instead of trying to drag him to us. Notice something else as we go to chapter uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1. As we talk about this revival, we start with a man with a vision. We, a man with a burden. A burden that he did see. There's something that needs to be changed. Something that needs to be fixed. How do we fix it? We look at God and see God high, holy, and lifted up. Notice with me chapter 2 verse 1. And I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch... To see what he will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. Reproved. Lord, show me where I have sinned. Give me a willingness to allow you to see. You know, you could learn a lot about a person by how they accept rebuke. That tells us if we're humbleness. To allow people to, to rebuke us. Specifically the Lord. Part of our problem is that we don't want to be rebuked. We spoke about this at the very beginning. We don't want God to fix our problems. We like our sin. We don't want to change things. But if we want revival, we have to look at God and be willing to allow us to be rebuked. To allow God to point out what needs to change in our life and change. That's part of this process of having revival. That we want God revival. Show me where I've sinned. Have a willingness to be reproved. 
Notice as we go on in chapter 2, verse number 4, we see something else as we have this desire for revival, and we can have revival. Chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. What a powerful phrase. That phrase actually shows up four times in Scripture, three times in the New Testament, as the Apostle Paul takes this as my personal opinion, as his life verse, but he repeats it inside of the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and the book of Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. How is it that we have revival? How is it that we're supposed to live by faith? What is faith? Looking unto Jesus. It's all about looking unto him. That's the answer to it all. Looking unto him. Looking unto him. Now with this we learn something about faith. Normally if I was to ask you what is the opposite of faith? The normal response would be unbelief. But that is not true. Notice what the opposite of faith is in chapter 2 verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But, the word but is a conjunction that means the opposite of. But the just shall live by his faith. So what's the opposite of just shall live by faith? The soul which is lifted up. What is that? It's pride. You understand that you are either going to trust in God or you're going to trust in something else. That's the only two options. You trust in God or you trust in something else. Faith is looking unto Jesus, trusting him, depending upon him, putting our faith in him. That's what faith is, looking unto him. The opposite of that is trusting in something else. Trusting in my ability, trusting in my job, trusting in the economy, trusting in the government, trusting in something else. When you put your faith and trust in something else, it will help you not. It will fail. It will disappoint. But faith and trust in God is where we need to look at. That's what faith is. Faith in God is looking at God, being dependent on Him and Him alone. God can get it done. Now, does that mean that we just sit here and go, no, if you truly trust God, that means you're willing to obey what He tells you to do because you're trusting Him to work. What is my part in this? What do you have me to do? You know, waiting in God is the ultimate form of worship because you trust Him. God, I'm trusting you to get this accomplished. I can't do it. It's not mine. You get it accomplished. In the meantime, what do I need to do? What is my part in this? And God will tell you that's part of having faith in God, trusting in Him, depending upon Him, knowing that He's going to work. Now, while you're working, God, what is it that I need to be doing? Notice as we continue on, let's see what is about this revival. Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 where we started off with. Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. We need to have a prayer specific for revival. Chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord... Revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of years make known and wrath remember mercy. Notice this. There was a specific prayer of revival. Now let's pause here. At the very beginning I gave Dr. Torrey's prescription for revival. Remember that? He said let a few people and let it not be many get thoroughly right with God. Didn't we cover this in Habakkuk? Then he said let those people... Gather together in small groups and pray until revival comes. 
Well, that's what we're talking about too. You have not because you... We need to be asking for revival. It should be something that we're praying for. Something that we're gunning for. Something that we're aiming for. Something that we desire. And then if it's something we desire, you're going to be praying for it. Praying for revival. Praying for it. It must be a specific prayer. It was not a general prayer. It was a specific prayer. A prayer for revival. But with this, we see something else. A plea for mercy. A plea for mercy. Notice at the end of it, in wrath, remember mercy. Notice he did not try to make a deal with God. That's one of our mistakes is that we try to make a deal with God. God, if you do this, I'll exchange it for this. No, no, no. You understand what we deserve? We deserve death and hell. We deserve destruction. Did Israel in Habakkuk's time deserve destruction? Absolutely, without a doubt. He didn't try to make a deal with God. He said, in wrath, remember mercy. God, we know that judgment's coming. There's nothing we can do about it. The Babylonians are coming. We're not asking for you to tarry that. We're asking that in the midst of that wrath, show mercy. For you to do a work. For you to give us grace during this time. You understand in the country that we're in now, we could see right on the horizon, something's coming. We may not be able to tell you exactly what, but something's coming. The prayer now is in wrath, remember mercy. Because we're deserving of whatever's around the horizon, without a doubt. But you know, that's probably the answer to prayers. Because now people are going to have no other choice but to trust God. God, in wrath, remember mercies. Remember, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Part of that humble themselves is to recognize we're getting what we deserve. We failed. We've messed up. We haven't been righteous. We haven't been holy. We haven't been seeking after God. We deserve this. But God, you give us grace and you give us mercy. That in the midst of this judgment coming, that we're going to step up and we're going to trust in you more. And we're going to trust that you're going to do a work. And wrath, remember mercy. There's one more principle that we want to find about this revival that God says we could have. Now again, this type of revival is opposite of what most people think. Most people think that all of a sudden the lights will come down, that we'll all have halos, we'll have the choir of angels, ah, and that we'll have a warm fuzzy feeling and we'll walk out of here and say, man, that was a great service. No, 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 no. Revival is a life-changing thing when God puts a spirit upon here and we see him for whom he truly is and we respond to him with great humility and we watch God work and God's spirit comes and the supernatural changes people, draws people in. But it starts with God's people being right first. And then it spreads. The fire starts here and then spreads out. But there's one more principle that we find in the book of Habakkuk dealing with the idea of revival. And that is living in the yet. Living in the yet. Notice with me in chapter 3 verse 17. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. The fields yield no meat. 
The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Notice verse number 17 starts off, though, although. He says, although those horrible things happen, although we come to the place of economic ruin, we come to the place where there's not enough, we come to the place where everything's shutting down, we come to the place where all of these things are befalling us, although, but notice in verse number 18, yet. He says, verse number 17, although, verse number 18, Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. It almost sounds like we've heard something like that sometime this year, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Our joy comes from not circumstances, not toys, not money, not economic prosperity. It comes from God. Knowing whom he is. That yet everything falls. I'm not going to allow circumstances to control my joy. God controls my joy. I joy in him. And as I joy in the person of who God is, he gives me strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And even though those things fall, I've made a determination that circumstances do not control my joy. God controls my joy. That as long as God is sitting on the throne, as long as he's righteous, as long as he's holy, I'm going to rejoice. You know, that's part of revival, having that determination. It's not, well, if things turn out great, woohoo! It's like, we know that wrath is coming. And I'm going to determine that when it comes, I'm not going to boo-hoo and complain. I'm going to say, God's still right. God's still good. And my circumstances may not be ideal, but God's never failed. And God's never going to let me down. And I could trust him. And I could get strength to go another day because God is still on the throne. All of this encompasses this idea of revival. Notice verse 19. The Lord is my strength and he will be my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine hind places to the chief singer of my stringed instruments. That's a song by the way. He said I'm going to have rejoice. I'm going to sing. Because of God. He is my song. He is my strength. And has become my salvation. That I'm determined to put my faith. My hope. My joy. Everything in who God is. Not in circumstances. I'm trusting in God. Let me tell you, we can have revival. God has given so many promises of revival. So many principles of revival. And history, he has shown revival. We can have revival now. Even as things get darker. And as Christians themselves become more and more disobedient. We can still have revival. As Dr. Torrey put a prescription revival. Let a few people, and let it not be many, get thoroughly right with God. Until this is done, none of the things I give you will matter. Then let if those few people gather themselves together to pray until revival comes. And let those people set themselves for God's disposal to be used for the purpose of winning souls. I've given this prescription revival all across the world and everywhere that this prescription has been used or applied, revival has come. It cannot but to come because it is a biblical principle. What is the biblical principle? Second Chronicles chapter number two, uh, chapter seven, verse fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and or seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, 
forgive their sins, and heal their land. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. We can have revival. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.